0: Hi there, it's Neil Stephen, CEO of This Is Marketing in downtown Dartmouth and host of This Time Last Year. Welcome to episode two of the podcast, Grounded, featuring Joyce Carter, CEO and president of Halifax Stanfield International Airport. As you know, the guest for our first episode was former Premier Stephen McNeil. That's a face and a voice that we're all familiar with in this region. But it was really the unsung folks, the people behind the scenes, that bore the brunt of COVID-19 in Atlantic Canada. Joyce Carter brings a really unique and super important perspective to the conversation, and it was a pleasure to sit down and learn about this time last year through her eyes. Joyce Carter, CEO and President of the Halifax-Stanfield International Airport, Thank you for sitting down with us here at the airport and for agreeing to talk to us about this time last year.
1: you're welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: This is episode two, and the listener has just spent the last hour or so if you're if you're binge listening, you're spent the last hour or so hearing from the premier about the first week of, of the pandemic and it, it, what led to the the final shutdown of the of the province and the economy. I wanted to have uh, you as a guest and someone in your role in particular as a guest. Um, because of the unique role that airports play in, uh, in a regional economy. M- most folks consider an airport to be a place they go once or twice a year. Uh, if they're a business person, maybe they travel more often, but it's about getting on a plane and going somewhere. But airports, uh, a modern airport, and certainly uh, s- s- Hellback Stanfield is much more than that. And so I wonder, can you sort of frame up for the listener the role this airport plays in the Atlantic Canadian economy?
1: Sure. So I'll focus on 2019 for now, if that's okay. And you're absolutely right. Our role is so much more than a place that you go to catch a flight. Um, You referenced perhaps uh, you're taking your leisure trip or your business trip. But when you think about the airport, um, think about the economic generation that it creates for the province and for the region. So we work really hard to be a facilitator. And we see our role as being here to serve. So we are here to serve our community and our community is really really broadly defined. Um, we want to be able to not only get you from point A to point B. So if your trip is a leisure trip, say a lot of people know us as the place they go once a year when they're taking their annual vacation. But if you're a business traveler, you're gonna use it for that purposes as well. If you think beyond that and think about the role that an airport plays in a community um in terms of economic development start to think about things like tourism think about trade think about immigration think about foreign investment think about those business to business connections that help you as say a small business ensure you can do your business from halifax and then you really start to understand you know what an airport does last year 2019 pre-pandemic Um, the economic contribution that we would have had to the province of Nova Scotia, when you add all that up, um, was $3.8 billion for the year. Yeah, 5600 people work here. Um, We would have had um, almost four and a half million passengers go through the airport. But in addition to that, um, we would have had over a half a billion dollars in trade come through our airport and almost a billion dollars in tourism annually. So certainly a real important asset um, and a real important role that we play in the economy, you know, pre-pandemic, and of course we'll continue to do and do today, um, you know, when we're we're in the middle of the pandemic.
0: 3.8 billion dollars. That's about 10% of the province's overall GDP. That's wild. That's a big part of the economy. Halifax, Stanford International Airport. Joyce is the CEO and president. She's a whole bunch more than that, too, and you'll find out later in the podcast. But in this moment in time, that's her role, and she's been doing it since 2014. I asked her next about the role the airport plays relative to the other airports atlantic canada and the role that it plays in the indirect economies of all those portions of atlantic canada as well
1: yeah for sure so so much more than um, you know a great contributor to the city of halifax also to the province of nova scotia and really to the entire atlantic region so we would be the largest airport um, east of montreal Um, our what we call our catchment area would be all of nova scotia PEI large part of New Brunswick. So serving all of those regions from all of the aspects I just mentioned, tourism, trade, economic development. um, We would have been able from a passenger uh, perspective prior to the pandemic to connect you to 46 destinations directly from here um, with 17 air carriers. And then in addition to that, our cargo exports. So certainly a huge generator for all of Atlantic Canada. A role that is very significant and one that we take um, quite seriously. Um, we've had great success in, you know, the past many years in being able to develop this facility to allow, you know, those economic impacts to take place. It's it's really been um, quite uh, fun to kind of watch the, you know, the growth and see how we can um, continue businesses to do what they need to do. Uh, in addition to obviously the part you mentioned, ensure that you're able to, you know, take that sun vacation when you want to. So really a competitive business, you know, a lot of people will think it's not very competitive to work at an airport, you only have, you know, one or two in a province or in a region, but certainly a lot of effort goes into ensuring that we can connect you, you know, where you need to go, you, yourself, your family, your products, um, when you need to go and um, at the right time. So yeah, it certainly expands much beyond the city of Halifax.
0: So you mentioned, you know, it's been fun to sort of watch the growth and you've had quite the vantage point to do that um, throughout your career here at the airport. I wonder, could you take us back um, pre-pandemic again to get a sense, your role as CEO and president of the airport, you wear a variety of other additional hats too, which we'll we'll dig into, but for now, you know, you're the CEO and president, that's your primary responsibility. Um, What was an average day like for you or an average week like for you prior to everything going to muck,
1: No two days are ever the same. You know, there's a saying in the industry, if you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. <laughs> and so certainly very different in every city um, and the role even as the CEO, very different. Um, for us here in Halifax, I mean, you know, my role typical day pre-pandemic, a lot of it is about guiding the organization, guiding the team we have here helping them ensure that we are meeting the needs and contributing to our community. So, you know, like a typical CEO, um, certainly lots of meetings in your calendar in those days, all in person, which was awesome, and not necessarily, you know, just here in Halifax. When I mentioned earlier about um, being very competitive, a lot of time spent on business development, um, you know, meeting not only with our key contributors here in the community to be sure we understand their needs um, when growing our business, but as well, meeting with our air carrier partners, meeting with various um, um, organizations outside of Nova Scotia to understand their needs in our province, working with the economic development agencies here to be sure that we are kind of hand in glove when we're looking to grow tourism, when we're trying to understand where the exports can, you know, how they can grow here out of Nova Scotia, what inbound exports looks like, where those markets are, so, spending a lot of my time uh, on that business development side but as well a fair amount um, we're such a significant player in the community we do a lot of community development and community work so oftentimes as ceo say of halifax stanfield you're the face of that organization so making sure i am constantly um, connecting with people in our community um ensuring that halifax stanfield is represented and really is playing its part um, within our community in terms of ensuring you know we have a good place to live so i am situated at the airport but pre-pandemic there'd be probably five to seven times a week that i would be driving you know either into the city or flying somewhere
0: grab a cup of tea there go ahead i'm gonna We got the tea on the go, folks. Thank you. (laughs) We did have tea on the go. And Joyce Carter is a professional on the go. I mean, busy, busy, go, go. She helped grow the airport by leaps and bounds over her tenure, and before that, in other roles. But now she's heading into 2020. And like it did for everyone, the world's about to change. So you're going a mile a minute, yep. you're busy, yep. things are growing, everything's great. Can you remember the first time you heard about coronavirus?
1: I can, actually. So I know the, you know, the original outbreak um, was towards the end of December um, 2018. I had actually been in... Um, 20, 2019, right? 2019. Yep, thank you.
0: Just making sure we you
1: 2019. There. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you. It's funny I'll how the sure. years, you know, the years fly. Um, and so I had actually been in China and in the Wuhan area in November. Oh, my so just the month before that. Wow. And so thinking, oh, well, that's interesting. We were, you know, we were just there. We had been there on a business development um, uh, trip. And so my tentacles were up. Instantly, you know, for my friends and colleagues that we knew um, in China and wondering what they were going through. So that was early, sort of late December, early January, as as soon as as you heard. And I have to say, it wasn't very long thereafter that we saw the first business impact of that. So we do on average um, seven freighters a week to Asia exporting seafood live seafood a lot of, uh, in a lot of cases.
0: And a, and a freighter is?
1: Is a 747? Yeah, large airplane. Yeah. And so uh, it's a cargo plane. So think about, you know, a flight you may take overseas, but no seats. And so completely uh, full of product.
0: All lobster. All
1: lobster. All live lobster. You know, getting there the next day and we sort of see, I've been on the other end of that and watch that flight arrive, you know, and see what happens with our product in that market. And so early in January uh, 2020, so thanks for the correction on the year, um, we had indication that product might not be moving as quickly as it would normally in market because of the virus. And so we very quickly saw our flights, which were seven to eight a week, go you know to five, go to four, and within a week, in January, it down to one. Because what was happening there is the economy was shutting down. The restaurants were closing. Right. You know, people were just not ordering the product as they normally would. So from a business perspective, we thought that was really interesting. I mean, we thought that's going to be an interesting year from a cargo. You know, I honestly have to say in those early days, we have pandemic plans, communic- communicable disease plans. You know, we've been through... SARS we've been through other events we thought a little in the beginning that it would be you know a virus that necessarily wouldn't impact us here Mm -hmm. the cargo was the first well that's interesting that's going to impact our cargo business And, and and it wasn't until the first passenger arrived which was later in January in Toronto that we started to kind of think okay this is going to this virus is going to come to Canada, it's probably going to come to Nova Scotia, and that's going to change uh, quickly. And it did change quickly. Yeah. yeah,
0: it did. Yeah. So you're seeing in relatively early January, already an economic impact on uh, folks from like to Canada. I mean, if you think of, uh, if you're if you're in the seafood export business, a major driver of our economy, and one of the biggest growing areas of our economy in the last several years uh, they're on the front lines of experiencing this totally and it's not really in the media at this point it's not in the
1: media yet and it's going into the chinese new year which is our biggest export kind of period so it it hit hard and it hit quick yeah and it's funny because i know we're going to get to the you know the passenger impact and and you know the human uh impact but when that started to you know land on our shores we were already starting to see the cargo reverse, so very, you know, very interesting how it played out from a business perspective.
0: Oh, it, it's starting to see it return.
1: Starting to see, uh, yes, the business return. Yeah, uh, yeah, by March into April of uh, 2020.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: It was an interesting year because we had come off of our best year yet, 2019, and we had a plan for 2020 that was going to be even better. And so we had announced a couple of new services for 2020, passenger services, not cargo. You know, we had uh, began construction on our new air cargo logistics park. Um, We'd actually had an event downtown for one of our passenger services early in January. Lots of, um, you know, great work to be done and a really solid plan for growth. We had been on this path of growth for the past, you know, six to eight years is a really solid plan for growth in 2020 for our, you know, for us, but as well, of course, because we're such a facilitator for all of our partners. And um, so it was an interesting kind of realization that something, you know, that we hadn't necessarily thought about, the plan had been done in November, virus wasn't even sort of known till December, we hadn't thought about might have a dramatic impact you know, on what 2020 was gonna look like for us right here at Halifax-Stanfield, right? So right as our, our airport in our community, you know, was gonna be impacted by this. It was, yeah, I really, it was a really interesting time.
0: Now, I, I, I'm interested, uh, and this wasn't part of what I was thinking because I, I didn't know this, but you're very interesting about uh, very early on in January seeing the impact on cargo. And that, you know, that's a red flag that, oh, there's an issue here. At a time when the world really was not paying that much of attention. It's true, we really weren't. We had other things on our minds. Well, we have some breaking news for you. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex
1: uh, will live in Canada. The president's reckless actions make impeachment necessary.
0: Well, Christine Sinclair, now the most prolific goal scorer in international soccer history.
1: My heart goes out to everyone who is suffering in Australia, all the animals. That-
0: It was a storm
1: for the history books. Much of Newfoundland and Labrador is buried in snow. NBA star Kobe Bryant was on board that helicopter. Peter McKay kept his announcement brief. Just four words on Twitter. I'm in. Stay tuned. And with that, BC's challenge against Trans Mountain is over. 68 degrees in Antarctica. (sighs) Yeah. That's unheard of.
0: And that was just January 2020. Now back to the conversation. Are you able to get folks attention with this? Uh, it, it, has it risen at this point in, you know, mid January in your mind that, oh, I need to start speaking to this? Uh, are you there yet? And I, just to be clear for the listener too, I'm not interested in Monday morning quarterbacking any of the people that made the decisions, everybody did the best they could. With a virus, that was very uh, difficult to even understand, let alone know what to do. Um, but. It, what I'm curious about is your sensibility. Did it make sense for you to then start saying that to folks or was it just kind of a, Oh, this is an interesting thing that's happening.
1: Not in January. Yeah. So what, you know, what January brought was, wow, this is really going to impact our cargo business this year. Right. Real sense that the virus was happening somewhere else.
0: Right. Isn't that wild? eh? Yeah,
1: that's wild. And then February as we sort of went through the next couple of weeks, We don't have in Halifax direct Asian traffic, but a lot of my colleagues across the country do. And so I started to hear from my colleagues who had the direct connections to Asia that their inbound flights were really being impacted. So think about it. Asians weren't, because of the virus, they weren't traveling. They weren't coming to Canada. So they were not necessarily seeing the impact we would have seen here on cargo, but they were starting to see it already on their passengers. We weren't yet we don't have a large passenger base of asian traffic but think about toronto think about vancouver they were by you know sort of early february into mid-february they were redoing their annual plan so again i was thinking back to previous events and thinking you know we have a large base of european traffic here not a large base of asian again maybe this won't necessarily impact us as much as other airports because we're we're very much domestic based in Halifax so 80% of our traffic is domestic traffic and of course that all changed quickly but again even in february you know more signs that it might impact but nowhere you know for a moment did we think it would impact it to the extent it has
0: Joyce is in pretty good company there. No one could really fathom the idea of what COVID would bring. So we fast forward through February. Um, Some things are beginning to happen internationally. We get into March and um, March 13th becomes a date that's important because uh, the premier Begins to indicate, you know, indicates to all public employees that they should work from home. And uh, if they're going to be traveling abroad during March break, there's to self isolate when they return. That's our first time hearing from the premier, anyhow, in this jurisdiction, self isolation. Um, and then on uh, on the, 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 that's a Friday the 13th, uh, ominous Friday the 13th, Sunday the 15th, we have our first three positives. Uh, And then the following Sunday, uh, the premier uh, declares a state of emergency and shuts the province down, uh, making him the final premier in the country to act uh, with that sort of uh, approach. So here's a quick recap of what's happened. It's not all inclusive, but here's here sets the stage. The schools are closed. It's very much not clear when they're going to reopen. Nova Scotians are instructed not to leave the province. There's mandated two-week self-isolation for anyone returning to this province or coming into this province, first time that's ever occurred. And the police, because of the state of emergency, are now empowered um, with authorizations to charge businesses and individuals who are violating the the Public Health uh, Protection Act. Um, These are amongst the strictest uh, protections in Canada at the time. They're widely seen as the strictest. I wanted to get a sense from you, um, you know, you, you are very global in your work, but in this moment, you must have been very local. And I wonder on that 22nd, uh, very simple question. First, do you, did you catch that press conference where he declared the state of emergency? Uh, and were you watching it or re listening?
1: So I'm going to take you back to the 13th.
0: Excellent. Yeah, please.
1: Yeah. So... You know, and that's very much links to the state of emergency. So we're in the Cowan boardroom right now doing this podcast. Uh, myself and my senior management team were in this boardroom on that day on March um, 13th.
0: And this is quite the room. The Cowan boardroom at the Halifax Stanfield International Airport is impressive. Um, You walk in the door and all along the right hand side of the room are floor to ceiling windows and they look out onto the uh, departures area of the airport. Your eyes then kind of pivot and you immediately are confronted by the largest conference table my eyes have ever seen. Um, Almost picture perfect for COVID type meetings where you need lots of space um, between participants. And this is where the leadership of the airport, a group of folks who are plugged in to the economic realities of Atlantic Canada, first learned about their coming role in COVID-19 and begin to plan and adapt. Doing what we call our
1: master planning. So as an airport, you know, we plan, we plan a lot. So we were planning out our next 20 years from a facility perspective. Yeah. So when you think about the growth I mentioned earlier, we were thinking ahead 20 years as to what will our facilities look like on this path of growth? And, you know, what do we need to do to ensure we are here to meet the needs of our community? So we had spent Um, A couple of hours in here. We were booked to be in here the whole day. And the premier actually called me on the 13th and indicated it was the start of March break as well. That was the first day most Nova Scotians were leaving. It was very busy in the terminal building. You can imagine March break is one of our busiest times. Mm -hmm. So people were scrambling to, you know, get through security, find parking, get their coffee and, you know, go on their trip. And so uh, he asked me, You said you've heard about the virus, (laughs) yes. Um, And we had talked about it a little bit in our our meeting. And um, his question was around our ability to put signage up. So he knew that folks were leaving for March break. I believe they were announcing that day, and I think they did, that it wasn't a mandated requirement at the time. But if you travel internationally, there was a request that you isolate when you come back. It hadn't been mandated yet. And so they wanted us to help them with the signage so that when people returned, somehow we need to tell them this. Could we put it on the PA system? Could we use our digital boards to put announcements? So, of course, I said, I have my whole team right here. We'll just chat about that and, you know, see what we can do.
0: Really good timing. I asked Joyce if it was odd that the premier made this call. Essentially, a communications issue. Uh, you would think someone else would be picking up the phone.
1: Well, you know, we—I've known him a long time, and so it's not—it's not uncommon for him to call. But it would be on that issue, and so it told me instantly the seriousness of it. Very much so. I don't get a call from the premier about you know what can you do to help us with with signage. And so we had been, you know, all of a sudden our master planning that we had planned for the day got got changed and got changed quickly.
0: Yeah, how do we get through the next 20 days as opposed yeah. to 20 years?
1: Yeah. finished our meeting, obviously did what we could for signage um, while it was still technically a work day because our partners that we need to help us with something such as signage necessarily aren't, you know, open Saturday and Sunday, so did what we could. um, Finished our meeting. We actually invoked um, instantly because also in the Premier's message on that day was um, not a requirement but an ask for those who could work from home to do so when when we had the early indications I spoke to you earlier, the cargo ch- chatting with my colleagues across the country about the passenger volumes, we exercised our um, communicable disease plan. We did that in February. so we were ready to go on what it would be like for our workforce and our organization. So we launched that actually on the 13th. We by the end of the day on the 13th, we um, for the most part were ready to ask, those who could work from at home, realizing we have some essential workers, we're 24 seven, but those who could work from home to start doing that effective Monday. So spent the day on that. Um, And we're still kind of working on that through the weekend when on the Sunday, um, I again had a bit of a communication from the province around um, changing um, requirements for people entering the province with respect to public health protocols. And so I, I wasn't, I, we didn't have clarity on um, exactly what that looked like. But there was a, um, uh, a news release on the afternoon of the 15th that very clearly said uh, that provincial public health officers were going to be posted at the borders or at the entry point. And I heard that on the news. <laughs>
0: Joyce wasn't the only one. That news conference had a major following across the province. Thousands of people were tuning in to find out how the week ahead was going to unfold, what the rules were going to be. It was March 15th. We had our first three presumptive positives. COVID was officially in Nova Scotia. But now we need to go further. Anyone who travels outside of Canada, regardless of where they work, must isolate for 14 days upon return. There are screens up the Halifax Stanfield International Airport to tell people who return to Nova Scotia that they must isolate for 14 days and where to go for information if they feel sick. We are also working with our federal partners who are responsible for border security to beef up that screening process. In addition to the work they are doing, we are also placing our own inspectors at the airport whether you're arriving domestically or internationally, to remind everyone to self-isolate and let them know what to do if they are feeling sick. And just like that, there were going to be inspectors and people at the airport working. Now, it's an airport. I can't imagine it's that easy to just have new people show up and spend time there there are a lot of rules (laughs) designed over many years to keep everyone safe. The team at the airport had a lot of work to do.
1: I had some indication that there was going to be a heavier role, more prominent role for public health, but I didn't know, I don't think it had yet been decided what and when. And so the news or the press release on the 15th was very clear that effective 6 a.m. the next day, public health officers would be stationed at the airport. So we were at that point from the 13th on, we had started this kind of daily management team meeting electronic at that point. So we had had one on Saturday. We had had one actually on Sunday morning. Um, We very quickly I very quickly realized we got to get the team together because. That is a fairly significant change for us. We have federal public health officers here, but not provincial. So we literally on Sunday night, six o'clock, I think it was, gathered back in this very room and got the whole team and the province on the phone and you know, spent many hours after that planning what exactly was going to be happening at six am the next day. Um, you know, the province was very much acting as quickly as they could. When you think about the airport, um, you know, flights start. We have passengers in the facility at that time as early as 5 a.m and as you know per day and until between 1 and 1 30 a.m so to be able to have all of those passengers greeted by a public health official meant a fair amount of change that had to happen really in the next 12 hours to have that effective for you know 5 a.m the next day and we did it you know the first passengers the next day were greeted by public health officials that at that point, the quarantine hadn't been called yet, but we're providing them with information about what they needed to do to stay safe. So what some of the protocols were that they should be taking coming into Nova Scotia. So yeah, it was a, it was a little uh, difficult to get that up and running. And, and those officers, I mean, we could get down and take a look today. They're still here today. It's changed many times over the last year on what their role is and the Atlantic bubble and no bubble and all of that has 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 changed significantly but um, certainly, um, you know they've done a really great job of providing the information needed to arriving passengers here at this border um, to ensure that they're following the protocol so you know we spent time with signage and <laughs> announcements and all of that um to help you know deliver that message to the community
0: so you're a very busy week from that the that 13th to the following weekend yeah and you're learning and trying to adapt the whole time and every day the province is coming out with additional measures and
1: exactly so each day understanding what they were and how they impacted our operations and, and, and frankly, what we may be able to do to support them in their, in their measures. So, you know, what role can we play recognizing it's a key entry point into the province, um, you know, one of two air points and a ferry and a land border about what can we do to ensure that we're um, meeting the requirements, first of all, but as well, helping, you know, deliver in particular, the proper messaging. And it was changing by the day. The rules were changing by the day. So you'd print a pamphlet that said, here's what you have to do. And the next day, OK, you got to change that. It's, it's a bit different. Um, and so this word, you know, sort of electronic signage is great because you can change it a lot uh, quicker than printed signage. And, um, yeah, so just, you know, the next week, really, until the state of emergency was called, um, very much working uh, within the community to ensure that uh, everyone was properly informed and, If you think about the time, it was right that same week, I believe that the Prime Minister called on Canadians to return. And so, you know, we were we played a huge sort of role in the repatriation efforts that took place. We very quickly saw our departing passengers dwindle to basically none and arriving passengers, um, you know, explode in terms of the numbers of passengers arriving, really Canadians, Nova Scotians, Haligonians coming home.
0: That's right. So you, um, the the state of emergency is declared on the 22nd. And it sounds like you knew that that was coming.
1: Yeah, we, yeah, yeah.
0: So it wasn't a surprise to you. So where you were when when the press conference happens? Kind of irrelevant. That's good to know. Um, You come out the next day. You said, um, so the 23rd becomes a big day. Everything changes. Everything changed the previous Monday as well. But by the 23rd, it's now almost entirely rep- repatriation. And you say um, you, were, you were interviewed by National um, Public Relations in January, and this is a quote you gave them. He said, we couldn't wait to understand exactly what was going on or what it meant for our organization in the long term before we took action to keep people safe throughout the pandemic. Very quickly, departures go away, and now it's all repatriation. Can you give us a sense of the magnitude of that? Uh, what does it mean for the operations here? And uh, what sort of volume were you actually looking at?
1: Yeah, so we could look down at departures now in the terminal building and see, you know, no passengers. And, you know, you think about those who were required to catch a flight, were mostly at that point essential workers or others themselves being repatriated to their say provinces or their countries. So, It wasn't that we had no departures, but they were traveling because they had to travel. Um, On the arrival side, um, everyone coming home. And so as we worked with the province, you know, the thing that I think the state of emergency did is it also enforced the requirement to self-isolate. And um, when you think about how the virus was spreading around the country and around the world, also lots of dialogue on where our flights were coming from and perhaps who was on those flights in terms of the virus so just trying to understand first of all with the province having them understand what our operations are like so necessarily if you're on a flight from Toronto it doesn't mean you're coming from Toronto there's obviously a lot of connecting passengers so understanding that you know you know, do we look at the the origin of the flight or do we start to think about the origin of the, of the passengers in terms of segregation and ensuring that you know they get the proper information because the rules in the beginning were different. For federally returning you know um, international passengers than they were domestic passengers. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about as well, the requirements uh, that the province put in place for public health inspectors, you know what's the right point to get to those passengers? What's the message we give them and where do we do that? So we had to very quickly really redesign our arrivals hall where the baggage area is today. So if you were to, if you were to have flown prior to the pandemic, you'd arrive, come down to the bag belt, grab your belt, your bag, and then you'd be free to go. We had to sort of isolate that area off because that was the most common point to kind of have all passengers arrive at least at one area to then be properly processed by public health officials lots of dialogue around you know do we do that on the aircraft do we do that up in the hold room before they come downstairs do we do it downstairs do we do some of it in the international you know do we use the alt hotel all these decisions really being made you know in a matter of hours in some cases and not necessarily you know knowing what um you know what the impact may be we had we have a you know we're very grateful um for the relationship we have with our air carriers because of course they were as well trying to understand you know what was happening for the first time in their history ever you know cancellations of flights were was outweighing bookings and so they were seeing a total shift in what has been really decades of how people book and travel that they understand were seeing a total shift in that and trying to ensure that they had the right aircraft in the right place to bring people home at the right time um, was really difficult for work for um, them as well so us working with them to understand you know it's not your normal schedule right so we can't kind of expect the flights to be you know, in the pattern they would have been even a week ago. Um, but where are you coming from? You know, what size aircraft, because how we keyed aircraft depends on the size of the aircraft. Um, how many passengers are on those flights, trying to ensure we social distance to them at the time, right, so, and still today keep, obviously we didn't wanna crowded arrivals area. So how do we, you know, control that by perhaps holding folks on flights to get them processed by public health. Um, all of those decisions were very much being taken You know in real time and in some cases try things out and if they didn't work try them again in a different way and see you know see how how that uh, played out and so it yeah it was really um, learn as you go and you're right with the quote is a lot of times we just had to take you know the actions ourselves we knew that people were really nervous about traveling and we knew that they were scared of the virus and so we've always been an airport that has wanted to make people feel welcome and to make them feel safe. We do safety really well, it's what their business is, and to make sure that they didn't feel uncomfortable as they navigated through our facility. So we took actions immediately to you know, up our cleaning protocols, to um, change you know, where planes were being gated to ensure we didn't have crowding in the terminal building. To ensure that they got the information they needed and understood it working with public health so yeah it was really it was really making decisions in the moment really yeah and that went on for that that first week you know i think the state of emergency officially was also the requirement for the you know quarantine period as well so ensuring people knew that when they arrived um, that they were going to be required to quarantine and what that even meant right in the beginning people were like well what does sorry what does that mean you know
0: there was a lot of that yeah social distance
1: i know where do i have to go and what do i have to do i mean people nova scotians are great right they they want to and they they do follow the rules and so you know we saw our role is just helping communicate
0: those rules um I, you know you've given us a good sense of sort of what was happening at the airport we have a sense of what your life was like beforehand you're a week or two into this now. Uh, you know we're talking somewhere between March 22nd and and, and be, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, March 22nd and the beginning of April. Um, how did your life change? What was it like to be Joyce Carter?
1: So it uh, it changed quite dramatically. I love to come into the airport and I love to connect with people. Right, I get a lot of my energy from walking around from chatting with our employees from chatting with passengers volunteers you know stop and see the volunteers every morning talk to the concessionaires and all of a sudden again a week because we had to really everyone that could was working from at home our concessionaires quickly closed because they and you'll see several of them are still closed today they just didn't have the passengers to be able to support their businesses you know, our we had for those who were working here, it's not like I could do as I did in the past, just pop over to the fire hall to say hello, because we also had to very much protect our people. And so when you think about those that are essential to be here is we put protocols in place for them as well, to ensure all obviously they had all the PPE, we had to get that for ourselves. Um, But as well that they you know, we weren't um, sharing crews just as one example, because you know, if, if the virus, if we did have an outbreak, we could end up certainly, uh, you know, infecting people within our own organization. So I had to totally change how I work. Um, you know, like everyone else, we went on electronic meetings um, for the extent we could. And, um, you know, we set the protocols for those who could come in the office and had to do that work um, electronically. It was difficult in the beginning. We were meeting every day you know, as long as it took to get through the issues of the day. And uh, when you're in a facility that's an operational facility, and you're used to just walking down to say the operations folks and saying, okay, let's, you know, we've got this diversion or we've got this, you know, this issue operationally, let's, you know, figure out how we're going to deal with that. That was very difficult to do when you were as well working from at home. So the days became longer and they were long to begin with cuz you know we have a we are a 24/7 operation we have a very dedicated team people here work really hard and all of a sudden those days were you know if i could possibly imagine them to be longer i'm just and people really stepped up you know to the plate i'm just so grateful for um You know, everything everyone did, we're we're known to do whatever it takes. It's one of the things people love about this industry is you, you know, you go through the events and deal with them as they come. And, you know, here we are a year later, still people giving it their all out to ensure that, uh, you know, the business is um, doing as great as it can do. So, yeah, it was a very different time.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Understatement. of
1: It was, yeah. Yeah. Um Amazing team. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, you think you can throw anything at a team? Throw this at a team running an airport, and they just sail through it. It's it's quite amazing.
0: So you hold, uh, you know, a, a critical role. You're the CEO and president, um, but you're also you know, heavily involved in um, the the broader uh, Nova Scotia and, and uh, regional economy. You know all the players. Um what were you hearing that first week after the? So, it was a lot of uncertainty leading up to the state of emergency. State of emergency gets declared. It's a bit more clarity. Still, no no clear sense from Ottawa what the heck is going to happen for individuals and smaller companies and businesses. I mean, we're sitting here a year later. There's still no indication of what Ottawa is going to do for the airline industry. That's a whole other thing. But that week after the state of emergency is declared, uh who are you talking to from the business community? And what are you hearing from the business world about how this is playing out? Um, When we sat with Premier McNeil, he talked about how aware he was of the decisions he was making and how much he didn't know about how it was going to impact people because it just had never been done. And so you probably fielded a lot of calls.
1: Yeah, it was a very interesting time. So you're right. I fielded a lot of calls. It went from family members saying, you know, I'm in the US, should I come home? Oh my God, should I come home? And me saying, yeah, you should like get your next flight home to volunteers that work here saying, you know, my son is in country X and, you know, they have a flight in May. Do you think that's going to fly to people in the community saying, you know, what does this mean for my, you know, my business? And, um, think about our concessionaires here, you think about all of our partners on site, think about our air carriers, right? A lot of dialogue in those first week, information sharing really with each other to try and understand honestly what was happening, right? So sometimes you can get so focused in that crisis, which we were and still are, that when you step back and say, okay, what does this mean shutting down really the economy? I mean, we just, worked really hard to ensure that we were communicating everything we possibly could. That was a big part of my role and a very difficult message and one that had a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, when you're talking about not only the fact that, you know, carriers are cutting service to the point we are today, I think I I mentioned earlier, if I didn't, four destinations, they're cutting, cutting because people aren't traveling, but yet you know that people should stay home right so you know I never thought that I'd see the day as CEO that I would say you know you should not travel you should stay home and that was the message I I was delivering and I was hearing it from within the industry yet trying to balance that with realizing you know this is going to be a significant impact on our industry on our own business on our industry on our people right so when you think about aviation, you mentioned, you know, the broader communities that the economic impact I mentioned and the workers that are here 5600 on site is, you know, those have gone down to really, in our case, those that need to run this beautiful facility, we don't have the option to, to close, we can't do that, we still have to provide the service we provide. But when you think about some of the carriers, and you think about some of our other partners, they have shut down, right. so trying to balance that message and help those who are trying to understand it as well in our community and the businesses here, see that we are as concerned about that as well. But above all is, you know, the health and safety of all of us. So, you know, there's a way I'm sure that we'll, you know, come to the the balance of the two, but just absolutely having to ensure that we did everything we possibly could to keep our people safe. and trying to understand you know is that going to last how long is that going to last so when you're thinking about you know making the investments you need to do in an industry that is losing buckets of money by the day is you know what are those investments what is what are the changes going to be on our industry long term and, and trying to decide you know where the right place um, is to put your resources it's been it's been an incredibly um uh, incredible challenge and certainly a A very difficult message um, in terms of understanding the you know the impact on on in particular as I say the workers. A lot of people have lost their employment, you know, because of this and certainly will be happy to have it come back when when people start to travel again when the time is right to do so.
0: On March twenty-second sorry march 23rd you put out this is the monday morning after the state of emergency has been declared again this is the last place in the country to sort of declare a state of emergency Uh, nova scotia is the last one to do it so you're now the ceo of an airport in this jurisdiction that's under new restrictions and your whole world and your all your team's world's been turned upside down over the over the previous 10 days and you release a video on twitter good video well produced Looked great. Was that on March 23rd? It was March 23rd. (laughs) Like
1: we were a month into it at that point (laughs) when I did the video. Hi, everyone. In light of what's happening with COVID 19 around the world, I want to update you on how we're managing this extraordinary situation here at Halifax Stanfield. And thank you for your patience, efforts, and collaboration. The global response to minimize the impact of this pandemic is incredible and will not soon be forgotten.
0: It's important to note here that you can't really overstate just how much of a change this was. Millions of people all around the world going home in the same moment over the span of about two weeks. 50 years of aviation progress changed on a dime
1: sharing important updates continue to, to be, be kind, kind
0: to support one another as we are known to do in our region and that stood out for me because obviously I've been watching lots of clips a lots of press conferences and that message that kindness message in particular echoes the chief medical officer Dr. Strang and the premier and I, w- I was curious did that just flow naturally from you uh, was it intentional was it a coordinated decision to go with that message uh, or did it just happen
1: Yeah, when you think about Halifax Stanfield and who we are, we have this program called the Stanfield Way, and we train all of our employees and all of our uh, partners' employees on this program called the Stanfield Way. It's a culture program that instills in everyone here to be happy, helpful, courteous, caring, and kind. And so when we kind of step back at the beginning of the pandemic, in the panic of it all, in, you know, trying to get everyone here home, um, in understanding what this meant for our business, in just thinking back to your point, did you know anything in January? Like, how did this happen? You know, how did we get from where we are in the matter of a week is the most important thing. We went back to those virtues. And the kindness is just so important. So, you know we're all i don't it's an overused phrase we're all in this together but honestly we are all in this together right so as soon as we kind of thought about that then it just naturally fell into our way of doing business to do whatever we can to help um, to treat people with kindness um, with courtesy you know some days it was difficult to be happy but uh, you know to be sure that when we see you know it's a very emotional place at an airport always has been pre-pandemic i just love to sit on the stand on the hold room here and watch people traveling because it's a very emotional place they're going to weddings they're perhaps going to a funeral they maybe are arriving and seeing their grandparent for the first time in 10 years is when i thought and went down to the arrivals area and watched the people that arrived home from perhaps a very long journey I mean no matter where you were in the world you were told you should come home now is they were just so relieved to be in Nova Scotia to be on Nova Scotia uh, soil to feel welcome home is there was no option no indication no um, thought of anything but treating everyone with kindness just think about the journey they've been through we're here, we feel safe, we're home, we're just helping with the virus. But yeah, people that were traveling at that time, um, really, you could see it on their faces. So everything we did with each other, with our passengers was just trying to make them feel really supported by us if there's one small role we can play in that whole journey, it's when you're coming through this facility and to do that in a kind way. So that was that was not coordinated. It's interesting because you're right. I think Dr. Strang said something about the only way to treat this virus is with kindness. That's right. And I was like, yes, it's, it's true. So
0: Joyce Carter is... A talented person from Cape Breton Island. Cape Bretoner, <laughs> who Who joined the airport in
1: 1999.
0: Right. So you come in as a CPA. In your first two years, September 11th occurs. Right. And an unprecedented impact on the aviation industry. Within a year or two after that, the SARS crisis happens. Another unprecedented impact on the industry. By 2006, you're the chief financial officer for the airport authority. So you can see all the numbers. Yep. You know all. You know everything, which is a good thing.
1: Front row seats, as I say,
0: saw it all. (laughs) That's a good thing because two years later, you're going to be named uh, in addition to your CFO role. You're going to be named chief strategic officer, chief chief strategy officer. That's in 2008. Perfect timing for a global recession and. credit crisis. Yes. So you go through that, an unprecedented uh, credit crisis.
1: First year other than now that we lost money, 2008. Small little loss, nothing yet, but you're right, 2008, the financial crisis.
0: So you get a lot on your plate. You're named a fellow CPA in 2012. Yeah. An amazing achievement for any CPA. Yeah, that's quite an honor. Very much so. It's almost just a Little step on this, though. <laughs> so you're named that in 2012, 2014. You're named CEO and president of Halifax Stanfield International Airport. Somewhere in there, you found time to be on the board at Dalhousie. You're vice chair for the Waterfront Development Corporation. Eventually, developed Nova Scotia.
1: Great CEO, Jennifer Angel.
0: Absolutely. Um. You're first a board member and then executive board member of Airports Council International. You're board of trustees for the Mental Health Foundation of Nova Scotia. And you're also doing a whole bunch of other things in the community. You're a very busy uh, person. Um, At the start of 2020, you're named the chair of the Airports Council International. Sorry, not Airports Council International, the uh, Canadian Airports Council. Um, whose mandate literally is to be the voice of airports. <laughs> it's the first thing you read on their website. So start of 2020, you kind of have a sense that you had just been in Wuhan. You ha- kind of have a sense uh, a week from a week later, you're going to notice a precipitous drop in your exports from your own airport. And you're now the chair of an organization designed to be the voice of airports in Canada. And you're well connected uh, within the international uh airport community as well um can you give us a sense of what 2020 was supposed to be for you (laughs) i mean this is 20 years in the industry you've you know you've checked every possible uh, professional box what was 2020 supposed to bring for joyce carter and for the region
1: that's interesting so that's quite a history you just gave there and uh, it's a little daunting at times when i think about it
0: it's absolutely a little daunting Hopefully, you can get a clear sense of why it was so important to have Joyce as our second guest on this time last year. interviewing Joyce was a pleasure, and I just want to take this moment to say a giant thank you to everyone who made it happen.
1: So I had been vice chair prior to um prior to that and was absolutely honored to be um you know appointed as chair effective first of january twenty twenty you're right first um woman in that role so yeah first woman in that role so we were quite pleased about that because that's important to me that's important um, to our airport and it's funny you ask about what it was supposed to be like because I did an interview which was a print interview right out of the gate I think it was the first week of January what is it you have you know that you plan to do in 2020 and certainly the pandemic wasn't on that list and and that interview never got printed because when you know these things some sometimes take time so you do the interview and then they write it up and and yet you, you look and obviously make any edits you have to make when we got the draft we we're like yeah no this all seems so irrelevant and it was only you know that interview only took place a month ago So going into 2020, um, CAC is the voice of airports, Canadian airports, as you mentioned, many members across the country, has a wonderful team uh, that are physically located in Ottawa. I actually went out to see them in January and February, haven't been able to make that trip to Ottawa to visit their offices since. We're very well connected on, on Zoom now, but we set out with a couple of clear kind of mandates um, which even seems silly to talk about now because they're just not even relevant at this time. And so when I think back about the things we had to accomplish, uh, we had a list of just three and they seem very achievable. And you're absolutely right to say very quickly, um, you know, we knew things were going to change. And when I mentioned about our team you know, starting these daily meetings, Um, CAC did the same. So when I think about my days, what they were like in the beginning is I never thought I'd see the day where, you know, we'd have daily calls with CAC of our, what was called our policy council, which I, which I chair, um, which is basically, you know, I think it's 16 in total members across the country from all of the large airports to many of our smaller airports, trying to understand you know, what was happening. And it became a really great forum for being able to information share. So what are you seeing? And what are the sorts of things that are happening in say, your jurisdiction? But as well, you know, being that voice for airports is right from the get go, you know, trying to get our story out for what this meant for our ourselves and our, and really our, you know, our partners, our airlines, and and the rest of what I call our supply chain, the, the participants in our supply chain, trying to communicate that um, to all audiences. So within our own communities, um, you know, within government uh, in particular, and uh, really with all of our stakeholders. And so it became kind of crazy times of, you know, weekly meetings, and in some cases, twice weekly with the full board and then as well, obviously me and the team and, and, you know, a great sort of smaller executive uh, committee, just trying to understand the steps we were going to take nationally as an association, how they fit in within our own communities. So you think about the case here of Halifax Stanfield, the things that we have done, you know, one of the things I'm so proud of when I mentioned, you mentioned the national article and we had to step up and just do things, you know, is in our health accreditation. So as an example, you know, very early in in the, in the pandemic is airports shifted to you know what can we do to support our communities and one of the things was the um was the health protocols and so um our national um uh and and actually world board got together and created uh, a program which is a health accreditation program and really just to set the standards which we do really well as an association on what a healthy airport and a clean airport was going to look like and then you know those were done with all consultation really airports around the world and uh, a process that you have to go through to be able to achieve that so that you can use that to a ensure you're meeting those standards but b as well communicate with your communities um, the safety aspects you're doing so very proud that Halifax Stanfield being you know at the front of this from a national and world Uh, basis allows me to say we're going to do it it's a really great program and uh, very happy for us to receive that accreditation I think it was in September of last year so we worked really hard very quickly to become accredited as as health certified as an example so all of the you know the work lots of great things still happening uh, from an advocacy perspective but so much so is is overshadowed obviously by the work That we're doing as a result of the pandemic, just ensuring that our airports are as strong as they possibly can be financially and within their communities and are doing the right things, um, you know, meeting the expectations. We did a survey with our passengers as an example here um, in Halifax that was started nationally, but then we, you know, we used here to to go out to our community and say, you know, what do you expect of us? And you know, it was so great to get the results back. And 86% of our passengers here told us. That they um, know that we will take the proper measures to ensure their safety. And so, you know, that was just really helpful to hear and.
0: Yeah, encouraging.
1: Yeah, really encouraging to hear because we were trying to do that, but you wonder whether, you know, the community understands, you know, what we're doing here. Because if you're not traveling, lots right. of folks say, well, I'm not traveling, so like I'll see you when this is over. As opposed to understanding that lots of people are traveling because they have to, and we want to be sure to, you know, do everything we can for them and then all of the other economic pieces that you and I talked
0: about at the beginning. So, you're, you're in this role, um, obviously, very much hands on here, but you're, you, you really have a unique perspective because of your national and international conversations that you're having on a regular basis and i i wonder can you um i don't think the average person i actually I know the average person doesn't understand the economic impact of emptying the skies and i i i wonder if you can talk a little bit about what i what i'm hoping you can share because if someone's in ottawa listening to this that's great but it's not really for you it's for local maritimers. that's the whole point of this I want to get a sense of how are we faring economically relative to these other places. Uh, you're speaking regularly with your counterparts, um, and you're you're doing so in a leadership capacity uh, with the other major airports. I mean, Trudeau, Pearson, uh, West. Um, and they have had a very different experience with COVID. But you're also engaged internationally. And the, the global community has had varying experiences with this virus. Um, Can you sort of compare what you're seeing here to what you're hearing about and learning about um, across the country and, and internationally? Sure. So certainly from
1: a health perspective, I think everyone knows this. We're doing extremely well, right? So when I talk with my colleagues around the country and across the world, we're the envy in that sense. When I share the passenger results, so when I tell them, However, you know, we're still operating at roughly five to 10% of our normal volumes. That's shocking for people to hear. Um, And, you know, I don't want to make it sound like therefore all is bad. People aren't traveling and they've chosen not to travel for the right reasons, right? We have, you know, we're one of the few jurisdictions that maintains the provincial quarantine requirements. And I understand why those are there, but it definitely does impact our service. And so how we're different in that respect to those across the country, you, rep- you, um, you mentioned the economic impact, is because travel is so low, the carriers, and no surprise, but the carriers have not continued to serve routes, in particular in the maritime provinces. You know, we're one of the lowest in the country in terms of volumes. I mean, it's not like the others are you know, 50% down They're they're certainly still down, but they're not down as much as we are here. And so our service has really dwindled down to what is today, you know, four routes out of Halifax Stanfield, I mentioned 46. And when I talk to our business community, you know, our tourism agencies, sometimes I'll hear, well, those will come back as as there's demand. And they won't. (laughs) And here's why they won't. Um, The longer that the pandemic goes on, the carriers have had to really, um, you know, curtail their schedules, they've had to focus only on routes that have demand, they've had to lay off the employees and they've had to return aircraft or cancel orders for new aircraft on routes that they don't see demand on today. And so certainly the demand will come back. I I do believe that strongly will come out of this and and people will start to travel again. But it is going to be very competitive to get service back to your region. So I worry a lot, a lot about us being able to support say the tourism sector here in Nova Scotia to the extent we did before because we are just not going to be able to um, easily with the carriers reinstate those routes those aircraft will be allocated and in some cases already have to other routes that perhaps will have higher demand due today or will initially or they're just not available to fly those routes so it will take us our predictions now is that it will take us into 2024 2025 before we see levels of service similar to what we had in 2019. That's a huge impact on our community. That means yeah. you might not be able to get that flight. If you do, it won't be direct. You'll have many connections. So you'll decide maybe not to take that trip because, you know, I just don't want to spend two days traveling. And those that you do travel on is going to be much more expensive to fly.
0: So let's take a minute here and break that down. It sounds problematic. It will take years to rebuild the flight network that existed out of Halifax-Stanfield prior to the pandemic. But try to break it down a step further. If I own a small consumer package good company, I mean a company that sells things into grocery stores, I might need to fly to Toronto multiple times a year for important conversations with different wholesalers and vendors and other partners in the business. Well, if I can fly to Toronto, leave on Thursday, spend one night, and fly back, um, great. But what if I need to fly to Ottawa or if I need to fly to Thunder Bay? The network of planes, the the way that you get places, the efficiency, you're talking one, two extra days travel. That's hotel rooms, it's transportation, it's uh, per diems. You're easily getting into three four five six a thousand extra dollars per trip per employee for this sort of growth work losing the aviation uh, hub as it is at, as it was prior to the pandemic is strategically disastrous for Atlantic Canada businesses to be able to compete um, it becomes more advantageous to be in the GTA be in Ontario be in these major markets um, every flight we lose from Stanfield
1: because again, you know, each airport, each air carrier has been significantly impacted from a liquidity perspective. We're all borrowing to get us through every day of this pandemic. That's reducing the available credit we have to come out of it and is really going to make it difficult for us and for them to reinstate those routes. So I worry a lot about we were on such a great path, right? We just had this wonderful service at our community used and it really supported our industries here. And I worry about our ability to get it back quickly when people are ready to travel again. It's not just a matter of on a dime, those services coming back, we're gonna need financial support to bring it back because it's a very competitive business. And uh, as well, we're going to, the carriers are going to need uh, support.
0: Well, you've been really gracious with your time. Thank you for making the time. I know how busy you are. and as you talk about you know f- four routes down from 46 um i'm reminded of the the economic impact of every single one of those routes and the jobs and the uh the ec- economic opportunity that each route represents it's not just people getting on planes um and so i'll i'll, uh, I'll wrap up with with sort of just a final question um, there's a particular impact economically and uh we've all experienced it to varying degrees. Um, but there's a burgeoning area of research now from the last 12 months that says that there's clearly, uh, I, to me it's not even a question, but I have to qualify it, but it, clearly this pandemic has disproportionately impacted women right, um, in a major way. Uh, They're the ones who are seeing uh, an impact in their personal lives and uh, a substantial impact in their professional lives, more than men. Uh, You're a groundbreaker. Groundbreaker? Trailblazer? You're uh, really um, someone who is probably the, if I was to make a list of the top 10 people qualified to speak to this subject in the country, you're on the list, uh, given your career. And I, I wonder, can you talk a little bit about when you first started to notice it was happening and can you offer a prescription or or a sense of what we need to do to address it?
1: You've raised a really important point. Um, When I first started to see it, interestingly, was online, right? So um, I started to read stories early about how women were impacted by by the pandemic, and so the additional responsibilities, burden, however you want to call it, that's placed on them um, because of the lockdown, because of the shutdown, because of children at home having to teach, you know, care responsibilities, you couldn't have people come into your home. You know, it's quickly, it's, it's sort of funny how interesting it is to me that we can sort of revert back to, you know, therefore, the woman in the home provides that care, but but, but it absolutely has happened. Um, and being a woman who's gone through that, right? So, you know, I have three adult children of my own now, and certainly, uh, definitely a woman in aviation, which is quite unusual. When I came into the role in 2014, I was only one of two in Canada, <laughs> um that led an airport as ceo i'm just so grateful now that there is i think four of us so it's awesome um but i'm very aware and it's something that i'm really passionate about um and it's a really important issue that has happened and i think you know when i think about how are we going to reverse that there's just such um difference now between women and men we've just gone through International Women's Day, I like to say every day is International Women's Day, but we've just gone through that, and we know the stats, and to think about the fact that those stats are even worse because of the pandemic really kind of saddens me, but it also makes me realize how much more work we can all do, myself included, to be very aware of it. I'm always really aware in my own business of promoting and bringing. We have a lot of really great women in our own organization in very senior roles. I'm so proud of that. But how we together can always uh, support them. I feel very much that it's my role to challenge that all the time. Um, and to all your listeners, it is as well. And I'm gonna do it more than ever to be sure that we are mindful of it when we're conducting our business even more so through this pandemic, right? So as we're you know, looking at so many people working from home, um, and now you know. I think in the first time since I've been here, we're talking about permanent remote work. You know, just the importance of that in families, and in particular, women and families, and not to ever lose sight of that. And I know I won't, because I've got the benefit of having you know experienced it. Right is just being ensuring our teams and our community, and 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 all of us are very mindful of it. And that we do something about it. It's more, you know, we need to do more than talk about it. We need to actually take the actions to to be sure we're accommodating as much as we can. Yeah, some of the stuff I read online, that I've read online, just almost, you know, is quite upsetting because it just, yeah, there's still still a long way to go, that's for sure. Mm.
0: There's a long way to go in... Every industry having watched as 50 years of aviation progress were wiped off the map in 2020 shapes one's perspective. It was a real gift to be able to get to spend this time with Joyce Carter and learn about her time last year. As I think about the conversations that are going to be happening, In the days and weeks and months ahead, and how it'll impact all of us. I'm happy and grateful, honestly, to know that Joyce Carter's voice will be the one leading the conversation around that giant boardroom table in the Cowan boardroom at Halifax Stanfield International. A special thanks to Tiffany and Leah from Halifax-Stanfield International for helping put this episode together, and of course to the team here at This Is Marketing at 99 Portland Street in downtown Dartmouth for giving me the space to be able to do this as well. Next week is episode three, From Ottawa with Money, and we're joined by MP Sean Fraser, who happens to also be the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Finance and the parliamentary secretary to the Deputy Prime Minister. We'll explore the days and weeks leading up to the announcement of the CERB, and Sean absolutely had a front row seat. Episode four will be joined by Matt Sims, CEO of Simplicity Designs, as we understand the impact of the CERB on small and medium-sized businesses across Atlantic Canada. And episode five will be joined by Elizabeth McMillan of CBC News, as we dig into the tragedy that met us all in April. Thank you very much for listening to this time last year. Please don't hesitate to subscribe, maybe give us a review. Uh, I appreciate all the feedback. Uh, We tried to incorporate as much of it as we could. Uh, Until next week, thanks a lot for listening, and be kind to one another. Take care.